Welcome to episode 8 of North of the Shire. I'm Don and I'm here as usual with Andrew. How have you been doing, Andrew? I've been doing all right. It's, uh, you know, it's the holiday season and there's some uh, relaxation to be had, so no complaints here. (laughs) (laughs) I know, all right. (laughs) What's your uh, schedule looking like for for next week? So it's, what is it, the 27th today? It's the 27th today, Uh, yeah. Yeah, 27th, a couple days after Christmas. Uh Um, Are you working next week at all or are you off? not oh it is glorious i'm so looking forward to a week off work yeah and i'm gonna just relax i've got some i got the blood bowl box set and i plan on assembling all those models and Mm -hmm. um taking a hail mary and attempting to teach my wife how to play blood blood bowl and see how that works Uh, are you going to paint the models or just like, well, cause they're color coded. I got the box set as well. So I yes. still haven't put my stuff together yet either. So. Well, my plan is cause I've noticed that I've have very little miniatures painted this year. Um, you know, and I think I want to try a different approach to painting them to the blood bowl models. I think I might do like a sort of like a Zenithal highlight and then mm-hmm. maybe use the contrast paints to right. just sort of knock it out in one coat just yeah, to get yeah. that like tabletop standard and then if I want to come back at a later date to sort of touch it up then I'll do it, that it, it's a funny thing with these games that are essentially board games that use miniatures uh, like we've played a bunch of other ones not all games workshop ones but you never really know um should I be spending as much time painting these models as I would for tabletop miniatures because mm-hmm. it's a very different kind of a kind of a thing um not really sure but yeah i've been i've really sort of gotten lazy with my painting ever since contrast came out now (laughs) now, like for me painting is always just a way to get models on the table i'm not like a guy that's really fussy about my painting Mm -hmm. um but now with contrast it's just like okay how little can i put into this model in order for it to be acceptable to me right right and uh yeah i've been using a lot of contrast lately I've I've uh, I've been doing my glazing methods, but you know, like after like nine layers on a cloak, and I'm just like, I just want these models to be tabletop ready. I just want them to be tabletop ready. Yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm I'm gonna be trying out a new technique with the blood bowl miniatures just to see if I can get them to be um, tabletop ready very quickly, and then I might start emulating that with my Lord of the Rings stuff. Yeah, so that's my week. What about you? What are your plans for uh, this coming week? Do you have time off? I do. I actually have uh, this whole week off as well, so that's going to be awesome. Um, And like you, I also got the Blood Bowl set, so definitely assembling those models at the very least will be be part of that. And um, I'm not sure what else I'm going to do, actually, to be honest. My wife is working, so um, probably putting away Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, plus I'll get into some other hobby stuff as well, but I'm definitely at the point uh, with my hobby stuff now that I am looking for a project because uh, mm. over the last year, I've really been just painting models for contests mostly. And because I have so many unpainted models, it was just kind of a free for all with no real, no real target. Um, But I do want, just because this COVID thing has lasted so long, um, 
you know, I, I do want to target a specific project because I do have a lot of ideas of things that I want to do. So over the next week or so, I'll probably put some more thought into that and pick something that I can work on and have done by, you know, after a few months, maybe something yeah. like that. But other than that, like I've been playing um, on Board Game Arena, which is a yeah, website. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah, it is free, but you can pay for an upgraded membership. So actually our, our games club... Um, which is quite small now. We've been meeting on there <clears throat> the last couple of months and getting some board games in, mm-hmm. and uh, it is really good. And just over the last few days, um, I've been playing on it quite a lot because mm-hmm. it's been a very different Christmas uh, this year from <clears throat> previous. <laughs> so yeah, had had a good time, but um, did have a lot more spare time available. So I've spent some time on there playing games, um, solo games, games with other people, random people that you can just jump into a game and actually ended up playing a game with Garrett last night. Um, so that was good. There's a game called clans of Caledonia, which Mm -hmm. I've started playing. It's a really fun game, um, resource management style. So that's Mm -hmm. been a lot of good. So, and actually, one thing I haven't done in a long time is actually read a book, like an actual book. Mm. And um, so I got my wife to get me. She works at a library, so she got the Silmarillion out for me. So mm, I okay, have okay. started at that. So I am kind of intimidated by it because, uh, uh, I don't know, it's just like it's, it's always seemed to be uh, kind of dry to me, like the description of the book. So uh, I'm a little bit nervous about trying to read it in the sense that I like, I don't want to start reading it and then end up really not enjoying it. So yeah, uh, a little bit of trepidation there. Yeah. It's a, it's almost like, um, like a chronological order of events more so than a story. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, let me know how it goes. Uh, I've had the same feeling. Um, you know, every time someone talks about the Cimmerillion, um in my circles, it's always been with like a, oh, kind of like it was a drag to get through. It yeah. was not as pleasurable as the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit. Yeah, well, it's more of a, like, it sounds like it's more of a history than than a story. But I don't know that that's true. But mm-hmm. anyway, we'll see how it goes and yeah. maybe report back in that in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so, well, I mean, on the board game side of things, I um, I picked up Disney's Villainous uh, last week, actually. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was uh, bound and determined to play it with my wife, and because uh, that's the only partner I have to play games with right now. Um, and it was actually quite enjoyable, you know, and give a, give a, t- a tap, you know, Doff my cap for the uh, to the Disney team for putting it together. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So yeah, right on. I haven't heard of that one, but as long as you have someone to play a game with, that's the main thing. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, these we days were, we we uh, I was sort of going through the list of games that you could pick up, and I saw the dreaded. <sighs> I saw the dreaded board game I hate so much, and I'm like, nope scrolled right past that one and I'm like I'm not touching that one with the 10 foot pole <laughs> and that is oh come on you know the game I don't want to say it the game of negotiation know. the one I oh, hate so much oh Chinatown <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't think you hated it but. well it was a game where 
I'm trying to use logic to dictate negotiations, and everyone's like, nope, can't play that with, can't do that with this game. And I'm like, I'm an accountant. Everything must make sense. (laughs) It's a good game. Maybe it's just not for you. Uh, Yeah, when it comes to playing it with Garrett, I think that's the issue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, is that it for the uh, catch-up? We got some stuff to cover in this episode. Maybe we should move on. Yeah, and I think we're moving on to the uh, our main segments. All right, we're here for our main segment, and I think we've kind of decided, at least temporarily to call our main segment let's talk about because we're always talking about something so uh, we're going to talk about army types that's right a series don't quite know how many episodes we're going to have with this maybe as many as seven including this one but we'll see how it goes Um, what we're going to be talking about by army types is like broad categories that, that most armies that you face on the battlefield will fit into one of these army types. Um, and the idea is so like when you put your army down on the table and your opponent does the same, you will be able to like recognize what type of army they're playing with. Um, And in this first episode, what we're going to do is we're going to introduce all of the categories for these army types the way we see them, right? Mm -hmm. And so there are six army types that we've come up with. uh, And in future episodes, we will be discussing each one of those army types in a lot greater detail. So I think in this episode, we're just going to sort of do a cursory sort of coverage of each one and just so that you understand the difference is that this is not based around necessarily based around faction type or fact specific faction because it is possible you could have one faction that plays that you can build many different types of army within the same faction Okay, so Drew, why don't you get us started with the first army type? Sure. So just real quick before that, uh, I just want to say, you know, in the the earlier episodes, we talked at a very high level, um, some of the concepts of gaming and the mental side of things. And now we're sort of dipping into army types. Um, So we're sort of focusing our lens now more specifically to the game itself and, and, and to the armies in which the types of armies in which you'll play. And I think it's important to be able to distinguish army types because, you know, as you um, one of the things that players will do when they they meet their opponent across the table is they'll take a peek at their army. And you may not understand the, the, the nuances of 12 fountain court guard versus 18. But if you see that army and you say, that's a shield wall army, okay, well, I can figure that out based on broad strokes and I've got some broad stroke strategies and whatnot that can work towards this. And that's kind of what we're doing here. We're setting the foundation for a discussion on the types of armies and and we'll we'll sort of go, we'll expand upon that in future episodes. uh, Yeah, and it's not not really super specific in terms of the types. It's, It's kept general enough so that you can take sort of a, a 
casual or cursory look at the army that you're facing and and pigeonhole it into one of these categories. Right, exactly. So the first one is the shield wall. And the shield wall, you know, the, the catchphrase that we kind of came up with is kind of like, lock the shields, lads, and it's time for the shield wall to hold the line and grind the enemy down one inch at a time. And there, the, you know, the definition of a shield wall is it's an extremely resilient battle line, generally two deep, but it can go three deep, um, comprising mostly sword and shield wearing models at the front with some spear and shield or spear and pike models in the back. And it loves to do one thing, grind its less, less armored opponents down and make it very difficult for you to punch a hole through it. Um, you know, and as we look at the, the shield wall army, it's the traditional type of army you see in the, the medieval historical discussions and, and those little historical remakes, um, as well as in Lord of the Rings. Like all those big armies that you see clash you know, outside of Rohan, they're pretty much shield wall on a shield wall. And, you know, when people talk about that line-on-line uh, -line clashing uh, in Lord of the Rings, it's generally two shield wall armies clashing and, and the two lines fighting. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, historically, one of the most famous battles uh, which uh, showcases a shield wall and a shield wall failing, basically, is the Battle of Hastings. So if you mm. want to read about that, that'll, that'll give you some historical context. I like that. I like that. So the attributes to a shield wall, and this is at a high level, in that they're highly resilient. So defense six at a minimum, although generally you're dipping into defense seven or defense eight, okay? And it's a very simple army to use. You're with, there's very few advanced tricks. Your job is to walk up to your opponent, hit their line, and just grind them down. And it loves to use the terrain to hinder uh, horde armies or mobile armies, and this is where you kind of see that, like, um, like you know, when you watch the movie The 300, they talk about the hot gates, and you know, it's all fictional, but this small force of, of models blocking this massive horde that's what the shield wall likes to use. It likes to use that terrain to stop people from, you know, flanking it. Well, that movie is fictional, but well, that yes. battle is certainly not fictional. Well, it's based on. The battle it's based on is not fictional, but the, you know, the, the numbers was significantly different but yes. in, in the actual real life. Uh, and you know, the thing, the characteristic of the shield wall is it typically doesn't hit very hard. You know? And it trades its offensive power for defensive resilience. I have a question. Yes. So there is a rule in the game now actually called shield wall. So does this army have to have that rule in order to be considered a shield wall? No, it does not have to have this rule. Um, and in fact, it's very difficult to maintain the shield wall rule um, when you're having line on line clashes. I've actually found the shield wall rule to be most effective against shooting, right? Because it gives you that extra pip in defense against shooting armies, which can be a big difference between strength two or strength three. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, in combats, when, when you know, your, your line starts to fluctuate, it's very hard to maintain that shield wall for a very long period of time. So no, uh, to be a shield wall army, you don't actually have to have the shield wall special rule. Um, right. It more, it more just describes the uh, style of play and the type of unit, I think, that's in the army. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and the, the best example I can come up with for a shield wall army is the Iron Hills. 
You know, you see them in the movies, you, you play them on the tabletop, and they are that army that likes to lock together two by two as long as they possibly can go with uh, some captains in the center or on the flanks uh, and uh, Dane in the middle, and that's your shield wall army through and through. Right on. Good example. Mm-hmm. Good example. And as always, um, I like to add a little uh, narrative mm-hmm. <laughs> to all this kind of thing. So, <laughs> I got a quote, and uh, okay. you picked a good example. And, he, and here it is. This is a quote from The Hobbit. Dane had come. He hurried on through the night, and so had come upon them sooner than they had expected. Each of his folk was clad in a hauberk of steel mail that hung to his knees, and his legs were covered with hose of a fine and flexible metal mesh, the secret of whose making was possessed by Dane's people. The dwarves are exceedingly strong for their height, but most of these were strong even for dwarves. In battle, they wielded heavy two-handed mattocks, but each of them had also a short, broad-bladed sword at his side and a round shield slung at his back. Their beards were forked and plated and thrust into their belts. Their caps were of iron, and they were shod with iron, and their faces were grim. Mm. It's interesting that they talk about these circular shields or the round shields, when in the movies it was like that, I don't even know what you would call that. Um, like an Yeah, arm. it was more of a sort of a triangular kind of a shape or something. Yeah, like that kind of shape. I guess it was just to give it for aesthetics purposes. Yeah. Uh, so you want to talk about the next one? Sure. Let me have a crack at this. So the next one is a very popular one, and it is the Horde. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a catchphrase here. The tidal wave of cheap fodder crashing against enemy ranks. They quickly envelop their opponent, replacing their losses with numerous reserves and dominating the board through numbers. And yeah, that really kind of describes it well. So um, this is uh, the type of army which is fairly obvious when you look at it across the table and it's so obvious because it's probably going to outnumber you by like two to three times the number that you have depending on the the type of list you're playing and that's their strategy basically is bold board control um through numbers and like outflanking your your battle line if that's what you're playing with with numbers and just to basically sit on all of the objectives as they roll across the table i um, i hate seeing this army when there's an objective based game especially those six objective based uh you know like the games that have the six objectives i mm-hmm. hate seeing a horde army across from me because it's like oh this is going to be a slog Oh, I know, I know. Um, we can talk a bit more about some, ex- some briefly about some experience with this. We don't want to get too deep into it here, or we'll uh, we'll give away the farm and won't be able to have an episode based around hordes. That's true. Um, but let's let's talk about the attributes of of the horde. Uh, so obviously, it's numbers, and that means cheap troops and probably low quality troops as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're probably going to be getting your kills um, from 
either like things like trapping or bringing like piercing weapons or like doing like two-handing like or other special army rules that will help you get kills um we've already kind of mentioned that it often owns the board through sheer number of models uh, and because there are so many models you can afford to like leave models behind sitting on objectives and you barely notice that they're they're there and because you're pushing forward so much those models at the back of the board are rarely in danger mm -hmm. um, one of the things you often see with these types of armies is low courage oh yes um, so you know terror can can be a problem for them um, so so I think one of the, the most common questions um, that I always ask in, uh, in, in against horde armies is how many models to break <laughs> yeah and that's that's one of the other attributes for for this army type uh, although they do have like a large number of units on the table breaking is often sort of cataclysmic for for this army type because once they're broken usually things fall apart very quickly and in a lot of cases some armies the only way to deal with it is to try to break break the army um, and we kind of agree that in objective based games this is one of the strongest army types for oh that God, yes. for that type of that type of game. Do you want to give us an example of uh, one of these? Sure. I think the penultimate example of a horde army is Goblin Town. Through through. Yeah, of course. Um, for a long time, they were they were really dominating, and they're still, I think, a competitive army. Um, all due to the the lowly Goblin Town warrior. Mm hmm. That's right. Which, in my opinion, is undercosted under or by OP, point. one or the other. It's undercosted by point um, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so let's throw out a quote here, uh -huh. also from The Hobbit. Uh -huh. As Gandalf, this is, um, when is this? Is this yeah, he, this is, is a, just before the, the Battle of Five Armies. Oh, okay, okay. okay. As Gandalf hoped, the goblin army had gathered behind the resisted vanguard and poured now in rage into the valley, driving wildly up between the arms of the mountain, seeking the foe. Their banners were countless, black and red, and they came on like a tide in fury and disorder. Hmm. I like that. I like that. I also find it interesting that they talk about their banners were red, yet in the army list there's no banners. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the the army in SVG honestly is nothing like the army in the book. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, but we can speak to that at a later date. Sure. Uh, so I'll move on with probably my favorite army type to play. And this is the line breaker army, right? And this is your, you know, our catchphrase for this is your. Well, I would say it's catchphrase, but it's more. You've carefully selected your models, oftentimes heroes, and you're choosing the exact moment when to shatter an enemy's battle line and an opposing player's morale in one decisive strike. Right on. And a line breaker army um, uses a very specific set of models, generally cost-effective models. Um, with one purpose in mind 
and that's to uh, break the enemy battle line in one charge and immediately jump up in a numbers advantage, right? Um, so your line breaker army isn't an army that's designed to kill heroes per se, but it's definitely designed to kill troops. Right, and, and we kind of like in our little group, uh, we've kind of coined the phrase of hero shock, yep. and I think that that's that was a very popular army in uh, the current edition and the previous mm-hmm. edition. Uh, more so in the current edition, um, and and that's kind of how we describe this line breaker. Pretty much, yeah. And uh, I'm, some of the attributes to it are they typically use mounted heroes with plus wound modifier weapons, and I'm talking like uh, master crafted swords. I'm talking lances, that kind of thing. And they make heavy use of heroic combats, and that means you're charging two models each heroic combat, and by the end of it you could be looking at killing 20 or 30 infantry in one turn. Uh, And that's not inconceivable. Yep. Uh, And then, again, as I mentioned earlier, your focus is on really on wiping out their infantry, not so much their heroes initially, because you want to get up in that numbers advantage and and you want to use your, um, you know, your, your smattering of warriors that you do bring. You want to use those to tie up your enemy high priority targets and, you know, grind them down. I'm dying just to dive in and throw out all kinds of comments on this, but gotta, like, got to keep brief. I know, I know. I, I, I could talk about this for days because <laughs> this is like my go-to army. Um, and, yeah, I'm going to stop it there because there's yeah. just so much juicy things to talk about. Uh, but I will say this. Um, it's most ideal when you're running, like, a plentiful amount of fight six, right? Okay. Because at Makes fight sense. six... You're getting above the elves, fight five. You're not having to heroic strike, you're heroic combating more, more so than, than not. Uh, and so I'll choose a, I'll choose a semi-ideal list for a line breaker, um, and that would be Gondor. You know, and, and okay. you're, you're looking at heroes like Faramir, Aragorn, King Alasar, Huron, um, some really solid, cost-effective heroes, and they've all got wound modifier weapons and the whole shebang. All right. So I have another quote. Yes. That describes this line breaker. This time it is from the Fellowship of the Ring, and it is from the Balan's Tomb section. Mm-hmm. Now is the time, cried Gandalf. Let us go before the troll returns. But even as they retreated, and before Pippin and Merry had reached the stair outside, a huge orc chieftain, almost man-high, clad in black mail from head to foot, leapt into the chamber. Behind him, his followers clustered in the doorway. His broad, flat face was swart, and his eyes were like coals, and his tongue was red. He wielded a great spear. With a thrust of his huge hide shield, he turned Boromir's sword and bore him backwards, throwing him to the ground. Diving under Aragorn's blow with the speed of a striking snake, he charged into the company and thrust his spear straight at Frodo. I like he was that. a line breaker. He was definitely a line breaker. Beating back Boromir and Aragorn, that is not an easy feat. Yeah, he knocked he knocked Boromir prone. Wow, that's wow. quite something. Yeah, wow. Wish all trolls had that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was an orc in the oh, book. He was oh, an orc, okay. not even a troll. So maybe that was Shagrun's um, special rule. 
Yeah, yeah. You must have had that crazy shield. Right. All right, so so far, what have we had? We've had shield wall, we've had horde, we've had line breaker. That's right. Um, what's next? Oh, three uh, to go. Yeah, three to go. We're halfway through this. So the next one is a leaf blower. Aww. And let me just throw the catchphrase out there because I like this. Arrows rain down upon the enemy like hailstones. Enemy formations are swept off the battlefield like leaves caught in a gale. This is an army built and bred for one purpose. Shooting. Hmm. Pretty easy to identify that across the table. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's also the army I'm designing, so I'm excited for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so obviously, in terms of a definition, this is an army that is, hmm. in fact, based entirely around shooting um, and it maximizes bows and it often will just stand there and destroy the enemy army at range or like critically weaken it and once the enemy is near breaking you just charge pretty much with yeah. all your bowmen yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so we are seeing this more more and more now uh, in, in the uh well, if we were playing, we would be seeing it. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, attributes. This army makes use of highly effective shooting. Um, and the definition of highly effective, well, that could be many things, which we'll get into when we cover this uh, uh -huh. army type. Um, often their uh, number of bows or their percentage uh, is more than 33%. It could either be up to 50% or even 100% in, in some lists uh, their shooting tends to be effective either because they have like maybe a shoot three or they're using like a really good weapon like a crossbow crossbow sorry or they have uh, special rules that may they like, boost their uh, ability to hit or whatnot mm -hmm. um, they often like to use a water strategy of sun tzu never settling in one place and moving to where the enemy is weakest to rain arrows down on their strong points that's right that's something um, that, that people tend to forget with leaf blower lists is they think they're very stationary and i think the most effective leaf blower lists are those that are constantly moving right and why don't you give us an example while i pull out my lord of the rings book and look for my quote okay so that, this the, the the penultimate example i can think of off the top of my head is the rangers of athelion list um it is a list that you know, can do all the things you want it to do and i won't need to i won't get into it because uh, we can certainly address that in our uh, leaf blower segment but yeah it's a pretty nasty list and i have a quote if you don't but it's not lord of the rings Give us your quote. I do have one, but okay. it's really long. But we'll read it anyway, but you give yours first. Okay, so my quote, because I, I, I was thinking about this the entire time I came up with the idea of the leaf blower uh, name uh -huh. anyways, uh, is from 300, when the captured uh, soldier says, our arrows will blot out the sun. <laughs> right on. So your quote, okay, mine's a hundred times longer than that, but here it is. <laughs> and, and like, I actually kind of struggled to find uh, a quote that uh, effectively describes this. So, but this one will work in a pinch. When the men reached the fire, there was Farmer Cotton standing all alone, warming his hands. "Who are you, and what do you think you're doing?" said the ruffian leader. Farmer Cotton looked at him slowly. 
I was just going to ask you that, he said. This isn't your country and you're not wanted. Well, you're wanted anyhow, said the leader. We want you. Take him, lads. Lock holes for him and give him something to keep him quiet. The men took one step forward and stopped short. There rose a roar of voices all around them, and suddenly they were aware that Farmer Cotton was not alone. They were surrounded. In the dark on the edge of the firelight stood a ring of hobbits that had crept up out of the shadows. There were nearly two hundred of them, all holding some weapon. Mary stepped forward. We have met before, he said to the leader, and I warned you not to come back here. I warn you again. You are standing in the light and you are covered by archers. If you lay a finger on this farmer or anyone else, you will be shot at once. Lay down any weapons that you have. The leader looked around. He was trapped. But he was not scared, not now with a score of his fellows at his back. He knew too little of hobbits to understand his peril, fight. It would be easy to break out. Adam, lads, he cried, let him have it. With a long knife in his left hand and a club in the other, he made a rush at the ring, trying to burst out back towards Hoppeton. He aimed a savage blow at Mary, who stood in the way. He fell dead with four arrows in him. Nasty, nasty. Hobbits and their bows. That's right. They, they got toned down the, 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 between editions, which is probably a good thing, because uh, those <laughs> bows were ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, now 18-inch range instead of... Uh, 24, which yeah. which kind of makes sense, because, you know, a hobbit is half the size of a human. How could they shoot a bow just yeah. as far? <laughs> I guess an orc bow is now considered a short bow. I think so, yeah, yeah. Alrighty, uh, so for the next section we have the mobile army type. I know, as, as, as ingeniously as the name is, it, it pretty much sums up what that type of army is. You yeah, know, it's it, it it's an army that's you know swift as the wind. They are focusing on board control and maneuverability before delivering a decisive blow where the enemy is weakest. All right. And it's, you know, it's an extremely mobile force that can easily outmaneuver the other army types. And it claims objectives first, almost always first, because it's able to get there quickest. And then harries the enemy with shooting, generally, uh, before charging in and finishing them off. And, you know, in terms of attributes, this is an army that's highly mobile and often mounted, although not always. You know, mm-hmm. we're seeing some uh, some other army types, some other armies, um, be able to achieve cav-like speeds while not being cavalry. But we'll get into that later. Uh, the focus is on securing board control through speed rather than numbers. So that's a big difference between them and the horde. And oftentimes, right. utilizing high volumes of shooting in addition to speed. Um, and lastly, capable of delivering a decisive blow on the charge, either through lances, the strength boost, or attacking the enemy at their weakest point. And they almost always get the charge. Right on. And so, Don, what example can you think of that comes to your mind when you think of a mobile army? Um, 
I'm going to go with something very different and like not what you just suggested as a mobile cavalry charge, but I'm going to say Lurtz's Scouts Legendary Ooh. Legion. So this is not what you would typically think of a, a mobile army, maybe, because there's no cavalry in it. That's true. But in, in the new list, this is a very mobile army. It's extremely mobile. You know, with the drum, you can get upwards of 11 inches a turn. You know, and yep. um, you can outmaneuver a cow army with them. All right, I do have a quote for this one, and sadly, this is my last quote because I couldn't find one for the last one. So this is the last quote. Okay. All right. Um, this is from uh, Return of the King. So it is, uh, what do you call it, Minister or the Battle of Pelennor Fields, I guess. And then a trumpet rang from the citadel. And Denethor at last released the sortie, drawn up within the shadow of the gate and under the looming walls outside they had waited for his signal, all the mounted men that were left in the city. Now they sprang forward, formed, quickened to a gallop and charged with a great shout. And from the walls an answering shout went up, for foremost on the field rode the swan knights of Dal Amroth with their prince and his blue banner at their head. Amroth for Gondor, they cried. Amroth for Faramir. Like a thunder, they broke upon the enemy on their flanks of the retreat. But one rider outran them all, swift as the wind in the grass. Shadowfax bore him, shining, unveiled once more, a light starting from his upraised hand. Mm, I like that. I like that. Mm. Okay. I have a quote for every army type except for the next one. Except for the next one, which happens to be well, like the most balanced force. <laughs> I know. I'm sure there is one, but I just couldn't find one. I found a couple that were good, but I don't know. They just didn't hit me where I live. So. Okay. 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 So is this one mine? This, this is, is yours. Mine. This is the last okay. one. Last one. And this one is. Uh, what Drew likes to call a hybrid list, but what I call a combined arms. Well, what the rest of the world in the military call combined arms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so catchphrase, we've got a jack of all trades with an answer for every situation and the tools to unlock any mission. Mm -hmm. This is the Swiss army knife of army builds. So this is a combined force uh, that uses all facets of the game and generally in fairly equal proportion. Um, so how do you go about building this list? Um, maybe you start with a small shield wall, add a few mobile units and possibly a dash of some magic probably drop in a single big hero to lead and certainly some shooting in your army is a must. Maybe even add a war machine as a finishing touch. This type of build ensures they will always have a chance in all missions and against all types of armies. What do you think of that, Drew? Oh, I like it. I've always wanted, I've, I, whenever I see a combined arms list on the table i think to myself hmm this is gonna be tricky because they're the toolbox army right they've always got all the little tools here and there that, that can come up with the the widest range of strategies and so it always puts me on my back foot because i'm curious to see what well, they do it's one of those lists that when you see this across the table 
it, it is not immediately apparent to you what your strategy should be mm-hmm. because you know the enemy can do a lot of different things exactly. uh, what kind of attributes are we dealing with here um it's not capable of hard countering any one type of army um but also very difficult to hard counter in return so some armies you know you do get the um rock paper scissors thing happening with some lists um so that generally will not happen for or against this list yeah, and, and unfortunately in this, this game, um, hard counters do exist and oh yeah, you will like you'll go from 50-50% chance of winning to like 10% chance of winning. And at that point you it is a struggle to pull a tie out. Um, so yeah, hard counters do exist and it's one of the attributes, the big attributes of the hybrid list is that doesn't apply to it really. Yeah, and that's because oftentimes this list has the most varied uh, list of strategies available to them in the game. Um, and that's because they have like the biggest toolbox to, to pull from. Yep. Give us an example of uh, one of these lists. Hmm. I'm sort of tossing around in my head, but um, off the top of my head, uh, Rivendell. That would be my... That would be my immediate thought for a hard um, for a hybrid list. You've got your big hero. You take your pick as to which one. You've got three choices. You've got your Rivendell Knights for your mobility. You've got your Elven shooting. You've got your D6 shield wall. You've got Kirdan who's throwing in a bit of magic, and you, mm-hmm. you, you line it all up. And what do you got? You've got a a fairly robust uh, hybrid list. That's a good example, a really good example. And sadly, I just do not have a good quote. So if anyone can think of a good quote for this, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, Okay, well, that's it, I think, for our first uh, segment on our new series on army types. And shall we move on to the next section That's of right. the episode, sir? Our, our teaser section on army types. Our teaser. That's right. Our intro. That's right. All right, so we are here for All That Is Gold Does Not Glitter. Mm-hmm. We're actually going to do this segment this time because we uh, remembered to ask a question last episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, and what and what was that question? Um, who is your favorite member of the fellowship? And it can be for any reason for the books. It can be for the um, the game. Um, it can be for aesthetics in the model. Uh, for any reason you want. And mind you, this is the original nine, not the expanded fellowship you see in the game. Um, so yeah, right. Like not Barleyman Butterbur. That's correct, and not Arwen, and not Gollum, or you know, <laughs> Bill the Pony. I hope you wouldn't pick Bill the Pony. <laughs> so I got some. I got, we've got some answers here from our uh, from our listeners. So mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I'll read a couple of them, and I don't think any of them picked any of those characters. Uh, first up, we've got Mike Shock. Uh, mm-hmm. In reply to your question at the end of episode seven. My favorite member of the fellowship would have to be Gimli. Mm. All right, I support that choice. I don't. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) On the tabletop, 
though I like more freedom to field him again, or though I'd like more freedom to field him again, uh, he's one, uh, sorry, I'm screwing up here. I know. He's a one-man wrecking ball and a strong contender for the title of best duelist in the 100-point category. Mm. In the lore, he's an incredibly important figure in the salvation of the relationship between the elves and dwarves, not to mention the only dwarf to sail to the undying lands in a company of heroes, Gimli stands peerless. It occurs to me that a good deal of what I've been has been that it's effectively right up my professional wheelhouse. Mm. Oh, interesting. I've worked for many years as a sociology lecturer in Toronto, and a lot of things discussed in the series on the mental game represent foundational principles of my discipline. Oh my God, so many big words here. Oh, so he's, Though, talk, he's, talk, he's talking about um, how our earlier episodes are yeah. attached to his, uh, his, his schooling and how right, he right. loves them so much. Okay, cool. Though maybe I'd known them by different names, those principles. For example, much of what was covered in episode six is something called strain theory, oh. which is basically when you experience a cognitive dissonance affected by a misalignment of your means to complete a task and the result that you hope to achieve in doing so. Most often we present this as a significant contributor to why people commit crimes, though it's nice to know that it also has a more mundane effect, like causing me to get salty about losing a game. Anyway, I love the work you guys are doing, and it's great to hear familiar voices talking about the game that I love while I tinker away at my hobby desk. Keep it up. Happy awesome. holidays, Mike. Oh, that was really nice. Was really and nice. wow, that was hard to read because Mike uses a lot of really big words in his <laughs> in his his talking. What I took away from that, you know, the the, the second paragraph was I clearly tap into the universe in strange ways in pulling together our show notes because uh, <laughs> that I'm cool that that's associated with what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, strain theory. Strain theory. Right here, go look it up. Drew's an expert on it, apparently. Uh, apparently. Um, and can we ask Drew to hear what your favorite member of the fellowship is? Ooh. Now, this is going to be a bit of a spot question because I hadn't quite prepared this. I've been beating around a couple of different ideas, but I, I kind of like, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm a bit of a fan of, of Legolas as my favorite member. And, it, you know, we... Let's talk the tabletop for a moment. Um, he is an archer unparalleled. He has the one of the best abilities in being able to um, auto or almost auto hit something. Now it's on a two plus, uh, ignoring almost every other modifier, so he can drop uh, enemy heroes' uh, horses, um, you know, dismounting them and effectively neutering them. Um, he's able to also just plow through with a tremendous amount of shooting if he wants to normally. And, you know, he's also fight six, and he's got a plethora of might, will, and fate um, to, you know, to, to push the day. Um, but I think from his character, from 
in the Lord of the Rings, the books, it was the most interesting to me because it was the one I couldn't relate to more so than anything else. Because it's a character who is hundreds of years old, their perspective on life is so different from our perspectives. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, and when you listen to Aragorn and Boromir, I mean, they do have very uh, complex and, and rich um, backgrounds, but they're still just human. But when you listen to sort of Tolkien write about a essentially an ageless creature, um, that 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 perspective shift. It's really nice to read about because it sort of causes you to take a to stop and take a think about your life. Uh, but also, you know, when you, whenever you sort of, as a kid, you daydream about like being something other than human. You know, like a, a an elf is definitely right up that alley in terms of um, you know being able to walk on snow, unaffected by temperatures of almost any kind, um, immensely strong. Um, by human standards anyways and you know to me I just I thought it was just so cool not to mention the fact that he was able to overcome his own um, preconceived notions of dwarves and form a very long lasting friendship with Gimli um, right yeah. cool good answer um, like I mentioned earlier like I've just started reading the Silmarillion and at the beginning of the Silmarillion um, there is a letter from from Tolkien and it's really long Uh, and I believe it's to the publisher um, at the time and he is explaining his uh, world that he has created his his literature that he's he's writing Mm -hmm. and one of the most important and interesting things that I got out of it is that the entire story is definitely told from the perspective of the elves right so like that that's how the story is presented to the reader um throughout the uh hobbit lord of the rings everything that he's written about it it's it's from the perspective of elves and their immortality and all that goes along with it Mm -hmm. interesting that's very interesting uh i've got one other I've, I've got one other mm-hmm. um, answer from a listener, and it's from Albert. Albert, okay. Albert, yes. Thank you, Albert, for emailing. Thanks, Albert. And I'll just read the whole thing. Sure. Uh, loving the podcast. It's fantastic to see so much content come out for MESPG. I feel like this is one of the few silver linings to come out of 2020. And yeah, I would agree with that as well. There has been we an are absolute ex- that comes out of 2020. I'd agree. Yeah, with yeah. That. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are the silver lining. <laughs> we are, <now>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says there have been an absolute explosion of podcasts and YouTube channels popping up, which has been great to see. Anyway, on to the question. Boromir is my favorite character in the fellowship. He has one of the most interesting character arcs. Often in fantasy stories, characters like Samwise Gamgee represent an aspirational idea of what we should all aspire to be, which is fine. Boromir is a flawed character that succumbs to the lure of the ring, but managed to redeem himself in his sacrifice to try and save the little ones. The notion of having good intentions but perhaps falling short of the mark is something that everyone can relate to and makes him a character that is more real than some of the others in the story. 
Also, fun fact about the symbolism and imagery used in the movies, I can't remember where I heard this, but Isildur succumbed to the ring and ended up dying with arrows in the back, whilst Boromir redeemed himself and ended up with arrows in his front, dying with honor and dignity. Still would be prefer no arrows, but I suppose if you have to choose, you would choose arrows in the front. Keep up the great content and looking forward to the next episode. Oh, well, that's um, that's kind of a funny, ironic uh, little note about Boromir. Um, yeah, getting shot in the front. So yeah, well. he didn't he didn't get shot in the back like a coward running away or whatever. Well, I mean, Isildur was the king, the high king of, um, you know, what was it? Oh, my God. I'm drawing a mind blank as to the, the, the kingdom he ruled. Um, and, you know, him running away to save his life kind of makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, yeah, it does. it's an interesting way that they've played upon that uh, and described the symbolism there. Um, one, running away with the ring gets you shot in the back, but uh, re- uh, rejecting <laughs> the ring and uh, defending it gets you shot in the front. Hmm. <laughs> there you go. But I think either of them would prefer no arrows at all. I, I think so, yeah. I think either of them prefer to live a long life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I guess we're down to my choice. That's right. Um, I have to go with Gandalf. Oh. Um, and I would say this simply because um, I feel that like he is the architect of the whole storyline of Lord of the Rings Mm -hmm. and the quest to destroy the ring Uh, and also simply the fact that probably of all of the characters in the book he has the like the largest part of the story like he has the most lines he's in all of the books including The Hobbit Mm. um he undergoes like a massive transformation of character within within the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. For for me, it may be just because of sheer quantity of uh, quantity of subject matter that mm-hmm. I find him to be the most interesting. Um, and I'm strictly going uh, giving my choice based on the book, not on the game, because okay. I don't generally play with Gandalf in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I'm putting my choice, and okay. not for any like psychological reasons or whatever. Um, he's just probably for me the most enjoyable character. Okay, I respect that. I, I like Gandalf too. Yeah. Um, nice. Okay. Okay, I got one more short one. I oh. forgot Ben Boomer. That's right. Yeah. Um, he sent me a, a PM message on this. Good morning, Don. I was able to listen to the podcast in good time this time. <laughs> Enjoyable as always. For your question, my favorite fellowship m- uh, member, movie and book-wise, is Legolas. So he's he's in with you there, Drew. Oh, okay, okay. Probably the biggest contributing factor to making him my favorite is the archery aspect of his character. So you did talk quite a bit about that as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, as far as SBG will go, it's Boromir. He's a great ally mm-hmm. and a really cheap powerhouse. 
put him in a horse and he gets things done. And so, yeah, that's that's for sure. That's true. <laughs> he's he's definitely a bargain at his at his price and if I was he, if, uh, if I was he's to go a killer pure, in the game. If I was to go pure just looking at this from the perspective of SBG, I would choose Boromir, hands down, as being the most cost effective. Uh, devastating model to choose from. But I was trying yeah. to look at it from a holistic perspective and uh, looking at it from that, I always found that when reading or listening to the, the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, Legolas stuck out to me. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, and, and honestly, it's you you look at the the choice, and there there are some that I think very seldom would be like I don't think many people would choose Mary or Pippin, for example, um, out out of the out of the nine. But even though. And Garrett would say that Merry and Pippin are the reason why Middle Earth was saved. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is it? Who is it that says it? Is it Treebeard or like they're the uh, they're the pebbles that start the avalanche or, so, or something like I that? I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> All right. Let's let's continue to move forward, and we will go to the last section what have i got in my pocket that's right what have i got in my pocket All right, we're back for our last segment, which is what have I got in my pocket? And already we've realized our mistake and that we forgot to ask a question again in all that is gold does not glitter. Uh, but Drew says that his question for me could also be used for that. So mm -hmm. what is your question? Okay, so my question for you is, in your opinion, which army in SPG plays nothing like its story or fluff that it's based on. What army in SPG plays nothing like the story that is based on? That's right. Ah. So as they've described it in Lord of the Rings, have they done a atrocious job translating it into SBG and it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, so, so what army do you think? This opinion? is a really good question. And uh, I think this is going to be hard to answer because this question really requires some thought, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, See, this is the first time he's also said, this is a really good question. So all those other questions I've asked. Yeah, all those other said. lame ones, like who do you want to have dinner with and all that. And I was like, oh my God, dude. <laughs> Uh, let, let's see if I can actually come up with a list, though, because honestly, um, like nothing honestly jumps out to me. Uh, well, you did say you actually did say in the army segment section, you did say an army uh, that we were talking about that made did, did not uh, align with its uh, its uh, fluff or story. Remind me what I said, because I don't remember. <laughs> it was in the Horde section. You were talking about a certain army when I gave an example. you got to help me out more I than that. For God's sakes, it was the Goblin Town <laughs> army, man. Come on. 
You set up there's nothing like it. Oh, well, I, I'm not sure that I would say that that... I think it actually does play like it is written in The Hobbit. Um, just it's... Um, what it's composed of is is not like what it is in the book. But the way they describe the way the army, let's say, effectively plays, quote unquote, mm-hmm. it's very similar to the way it is in a book, being a horde. Um, but like the units that are in SBG are, mm-hmm. are not um, reminiscent of what is in the book, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion. Uh, the same is true for me. Um, I'm not saying this is my answer, but the same is true for me for Isengard. Mm. Um, oh, like yeah. the arm, oh. like the army of, yeah, let's make this my answer. You know what? Because uh, I'll be all day trying to think of something, <laughs> something else like the army, um, that Sauron or Saruman, sorry, mm-hmm. produces, uh, that attacks Helm's deep, which is the Isengard warrior. It is. It's absolutely nothing like what is presented in the book. Um, like in the book, uh, he has been breeding effectively half orcs, right? Mm. Um, which many of them go to the Shire and are known as ruffians in in SBG and in, in the book. But ultimately, they're they're what we would know as half orcs, and he had produced. Um, Yes, an orc that could uh, go through the day, uh, not have to, you know, get undercover during during the day. So he had produced something like like an urukai that you see in um, the breaking of the fellowship section. Mm-hmm. But the part in the in the uh, movie and which has been completely adopted by the SPG game, which is the. Um, the Urukai warrior per mm. se, um, and they now have the legendary legion, which is basically supposed to emulate the army that attacks Helm's Deep. And I forget the name of the legendary legion. Assault on Helm's Deep. Assault on Helm's Deep. Like it's it's absolutely nothing like what is presented in the book. Like in the book, basically the army that is sent there is incredibly numerous, but it's made up of like all the ragtag flotsam and jetsam like crap that that uh saruman was able to gather and and produce on his own it's it's not like a regimented fighting force of like military precision all armed with heavy armor and shields and you know all of that pikes and crossbows and all that it's nothing like that in Mm. the book so that's going to be my answer okay perfect so should we also use that question for uh, for next uh, next episode as well? Yeah, so let's use that for uh, all that is gold does not glitter. So repeat the question one more time. So the question is, what army uh, in MESBG plays nothing like the story or the fluff that it is based on? And send your answer to North of the Shire Podcast One, the number one at gmail.com. And now it's my turn to ask you a question. Okay, sir. it better not be a lame question like the ones I've been asking you, apparently. It's going to be a challenge for you to paint more malls. No, no get out of here. I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Already I lose. I forfeit. Hey, you, just, you just finished telling us you had a week off. What else are you going to do? Get out of here. <laughs> Okay, so here's here's my question. So we just went through Christmas, right? Yeah. So in the in the in the in the spirit of uh, of giving and receiving, 
if you were to be presented with the opportunity to receive a free 1,000 point army, any army in the game, any models, what army would you choose and why? Easy. Survivors of Lake Town. Survivors of Lake Town. That's right. Okay. Now, and why would it be Survivors of Lake Town? One at a thousand points, Survivors of Lake Town is the most expensive army in MESBG. <laughs> oh, like to buy it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For, it's the most expensive for sure. Um, each warband is like 80 bucks plus, you know, Canadian plus other stuff. Um, but also, uh, Survivors of Lake Town is, I would say, the ultimate toolbox kind of army. Um, you know, you've got your big hero uh, in Bard, you've got amazing magic in Gandalf, you've got the ring without any of its disadvantages in Bilbo, you've got the synergy that his kids play with Bard, you've got a Horde-style army that also gets mad buffs from Bard with the plus one fight and the banner reroll, you've got Alfred as the might generator, You've got a scene amount of shooting. You've got your blinding light. There's so many options available to this list. You can take on damn near anything in the game, and you have a tool, a very effective tool at dealing with it. And you know, even your big hero and bard has got the best ranged weapon in the game, a great bow, and he can hit upwards of three times, and like that really augments your shooting. And you've got stuff like Bianca that can give you plus one to wound on the charge. You've got Percy who augments your shooting with rerolls of the ones to hit. I've been reading this army list. That's why I, that's why I would pick it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you're pretty well educated on I'm this. Very well micro. educated on this army list. Um, and yeah, that would be the list to go with at a thousand points. And if someone were to gift me that thousand point list, I would be very ecstatic um, because in large part, um, I think. The barriers to entry for Survivors of Lake Town is very much um, cost. It is a very cost prohibitive list. Um, you know, to get all the, the tools and the bells and whistles. So yeah, that would be my choice. Nice. And what what's the um, the base troop of that army? Is it the Lake Town Militia? It is the Lake Town are, Militia. Are they worth five They points, are worth five or? points base, but they can... And they have like a... I was just going to say, they have like a really good... Um, a list of weapon options available to them as well. They like, have the sword and the axe. The best two. The they, sword and the axe. But so they can also take like a bow, a shield. They can take a bow and a shield and that's it. Which really is all you can really they, care about. Can they get a banner? I don't think. But ba Bard has a banner effect, right? Bard yeah. is a 12-inch banner effect. If you yeah, do so green they don't lines, need a banner. Yeah, they don't need a banner. Bard also gives them uh, plus one fight value. Um, as well within 12 inches so you're looking at a six point dude who's fight three with a banner built in and he's defense five and he's got an axe because you want to kind of met them out with the axes and then all of a sudden you've got that horde style list but with all those extra bells and whistles cool that's a good answer because it's it's right up your alley in the, in the sense that it's a very competitive list mm -hmm. um and it's also as you mentioned very cost prohibitive if you were to like buy buy that army yourself oh my god yeah. Yeah. i also hate playing that army oh my god yeah but you know very few people play it yeah that's that's the one good thing about it is that you don't see it a whole lot yeah 
I've, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, the only loss I had at Articon was against Tom Harrison with his Lake Town list, and it was a pain, pain to play against. Yeah. Yeah, we have one or two people here uh, in our meta that do play it, and I've played it a few times, and yeah, it's one of those lists that you're playing, and it's like, this list seems way too good. <laughs> Something can't, something's got to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. I'm like, why is everything... <laughs> but yeah, so that... All right, well, that's it for this episode. So we'll uh, we'll just finish it up here. Um, so we will be coming back again in the next episode with uh, our first section on a specific army type. And, and what do you think we should be covering there, I Mr. Think, Andrew? I think we should be covering the shield wall army type. It's a, the uh, shield wall? The simplest one, and we can sort of build upon that. Yeah, and I think it's like it's an easy one to cover because like so many armies can offer that army type. So many different yep. factions in the game can offer that uh, army type, and they all play very similar in spite of the fact that they can come from many different factions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all I right. totally agree. And you know, sounds good. I have my fingers crossed that by the time we speak again, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll spin you a yarn about how I painted models. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, maybe you will be spinning a yarn, but yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. Oh my send, God. send me some pictures of your painted models. Pixar, it didn't happen. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I like. I hope you have a good week off and you're able to to get some hobby done, whether it's painting or not, or MESBG or not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we all I think need a, a week a week off at this point. Not everybody gets it, so I'm very grateful to have the week off as Same. well. I'm very very grateful to have the week off too. Yeah, and so this is going to be our last episode of uh, 2020. 2020. Uh, been a crazy year. But it's been fun. And honestly, this is definitely a podcast that we planned on producing for quite some time. Finally got around to it during a, a pandemic. Um, and for me, it's been a really fun thing to look forward to doing. It's become part of my, my hobby time. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been it's been a really good addition to, to my hobby, being able to... Uh, talk and and it's good to talk with you like we don't usually talk very much on the phone because no. we just like most people we just message each other all the time pretty much <laughs> uh, so it's good it's, it's actually good to to get together and and have a chat with you every couple of weeks uh this way and uh i'm sorry for putting so much of the burden of writing material on you oh pish posh <laughs> get out of here i'm sorry I'm, i i counter that sorry with, i'm sorry for making you do all the editing and having to edit out my snorts and sniffs and coughs and throat swallows <laughs> i swear half the editing three quarters of the editing must be done into what has drew done okay let's cut that out let's mute that <laughs> Yeah, every episode it's something, but it's getting better. It's actually getting better. And even this episode, we had sound issues when Drew started off, like not using his nice, expensive new mic and using some old crappy thing that was so horrible. True. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see when the editing comes around, if that's the case. You never know. You, know? you, you, you click one thing instead of clicking both things. And... <laughs> 
But no, yeah, to, yeah. To, to echo your, your 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 sentiments, you know, because it's our last episode before the before the new year. You know, it, it's it's crazy to see how back in the summertime we had conceived this idea, or you know, we con- conceived it much earlier. But we were actually just saying to ourselves, "This is it. We're doing it." There's no, you know. Yeah. D- d- Dally footing around or whatever, uh, we're gonna make this happen. And to me, it was like, did you buy your mic? Yep, I bought my mic. Did you buy your mic? Yep, I bought my mic. And it was like that moment where we're like, well, we bought these expensive mics, uh, so I guess this is happening. Like this is really happening. And yeah. and now to like look back at it and say, holy cow, we've got eight episodes in the bag this year. This is pretty impressive. Yeah, it's it's good. Like, and I, I mean, we're we're doing this strictly for the fun of doing it, and much. Uh, to get some more content out there. But it's it's been very um, rewarding, I guess you would say, to see uh, people are actually listening to us and 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 writing us with comments. And you know, there's been a little bit of talk here and there uh, about it. Uh, so it's you know, we weren't doing this for money or whatever. It's just really to uh, contribute to the community, I guess, and, mm-hmm. and for something to do during the, the pandemic and, and have fun. And uh, But it's been really rewarding to see, actually, people are actually downloading our stuff, which is, yeah. which is crazy. Which shocked you know? me. Um, people are downloading <laughs> our stuff, and we're getting, we're getting high praise from a number of people, um, a number of a number of people, um, which is... You know, it's that's why it's not we're not doing it for the praise, but if it puts a smile on one person's face, um, you know, or someone learned something from us doing all this, then to me, that's worth it. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's just it's really like he, when we started doing a podcast, like you don't think that, you know, somebody is listening in like somewhere far away like finland and sending us messages and thanking us and or australia or you know all these far-flung places to us so it's uh thank you to everybody that is listening and commenting uh really do appreciate it yeah thank you so much to everybody who's listening and, and, and i hope you all enjoy it and if you don't you can use the incredibly antiquated method of sending us an email uh, and we will respond to you in kind. <laughs> yeah, hopefully uh, very soon we will uh, actually open up our Facebook uh, group to uh, people to join that are interested in, in following along there as well, so it'll be a little bit easier for people to, to comment. Exactly. That is the plan right. for our future. So is that it, sir? That's it. All right. Well, thank you once again, everybody, for listening to another episode of North of the Shire. And I'm sorry, no quotes, no music, no nothing this time, just because I burned myself out looking for quotes for our main segment. So, you know, that's my excuse. But anyway, thanks again for listening, and we will see you again on the next episode of North of the Shire. (laughs) 